Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and me, Sean Mooney. This is Episode 7. Hacksaw, could you believe seven episodes already? Hello, Sean. Of course, seven episodes. Are you kidding? The time's flying by. I having so much fun. You know, brother, I can't uh, start the show without doing the, the deal. Give it to me, brother. Oh. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. I know you, you got more than that. Sean, let's go, baby. Ho! Ho! I tell you, don't get going. No matter what you're doing, a good hole will get you going. <laughs> well, I know you have had a legion of fans throughout your career, but I think we're really developing a new ho nation. Don't you think, Jim? And with this podcast? I think, yeah, well, folks like the ho. You know, I always uh, rib my buddy Rick Flair. You know, Rick's always going, woo! Woo! Right. Right. I'm like, Rick, are your trunks too tight or what? It's more like a ho! <laughs> Those sands about pants. Yeah, yeah, Rick always looks good. I tell you, he's the kind of guy you'd want for a world champion. You know, he'd be on the road for two weeks, and he looks crisp. You know, his pants got uh, cr- uh, uh, creases in him. He always looks good. Yeah, well, you know, he's one of the, the first guys that started wearing those uh, Sansabelt pants, the ones that, you know, that have the real flexible waistbands, because he could do the bumps that he did, which were incredible. And, you know, a lot of times he'd be dressed up, and he wouldn't rip his pants. So why would you how would you assume I'd know about the flexible waistbands? <laughs> that was yeah. not no, a shot. No, no you know <laughs> some of the guys out there. Terry Taylor was the same way. You know, uh, uh, Gino Hernandez. A lot of those guys were the GQ kind of guys. They'd be on the road forever. DiBiase was like that. He always looked good on the road. You know, me, Piper, and Doctor Dust, Steve Williams, are a pair of Zumbas and a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's a great topic. That might be a podcast down the road. But who were some of the best dressed guys? Because, you know, in the old days of professional sports, and you played in the NFL, and you kind of had that, uh, you know, back in the day, guys didn't really dress up. And then it became this, uh, you know, obsession uh, that, uh, you know, everybody tried to outdo the other. And it was no different in wrestling, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I had a cup of coffee in the NFL. That's how quick I was in there. But, you know, the, back then, of course, you know, you have uh, your travel gear. You'd, you'd be on the road, even in college, because you represent the team. You'd have a, a blazer and a, a shirt and, and slacks. And, the, you know, even Vince, at a, at a point there, he wanted the guys to, to dress their gimmicks, you know. So a lot of times you'd see Macho going through the airport in full gear, you know, with his hat and the, the fringes flying and everything else, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Guys, uh, live their gimmick I, I like the low profile deal but yeah Flair uh, Terry Taylor uh, Gino Hernandez Tully Blanchard Arn Anderson I mean uh, those guys you know like I said they always go to the nice fancy Dan clubs you know with a you know the bouncer at the door and all right. that me and Steve Williams being some strip joint with the smoke down to about the level <laughs> everything painted black you know <laughs> That's great. You know, I, we got a little sidetracked here, but I love—I really do love this topic. I've—I've I've thought about uh, you know doing Wrestling something fashion. a little more in depth. Wrestling yeah, fashion. I remember just make- one, one quick story, Sean, yeah. about uh, fashion. I remember we were all standing outside the dressing room one day, and Kurt Henning came out and go, "Macho, what the hell happened to your hat?" And of course, Macho was crazy over those cowboy hats. He goes oh, right yeah. into the hat, and the hat sitting there perfectly the same. And Kurt comes in and goes, oh, you mean it's supposed to look like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was another classic Hennig rib. Rib, yeah. But yeah. see, that was the anti-rib, which was even funnier. <laughs> no, that's right. The reverse psychology of a rib. Yeah, wrestler. Right? Yeah. 
But you mentioned, you know, the fashion and and, and Vince. And I remember when I first arrived uh, in uh, Stanford with the WWF, and one of the first times I ever saw Vince, you know, he used to drive that Clenet. Those, it's a, it's kind of a model car. It looks like a big roadster. It was this big, gigantic white thing. It was made out in Santa Barbara or something. And uh, yeah, and he used to drive this thing around. It was a, you know, based on like the 1930s roadster or something like that. And he used to love to drive around the city there. And of course, remember the the three piece suits he wore. And he had every single color of the rainbow. And it was the whole three piece suit thing going. Always looked sharp, and of course, yeah. Linda. She always was dressed to the, you know, always looked. I told her, "Hey, you look nice today, Linda." And one of the her entourage said, "Goes, you shouldn't say that. She looks nice every day." I'm like, "Oops, <laughs> my mistake." But uh, yeah. you know, of course, they, they dressed apart the and and they looked apart, the and they are the part. I like Flair. I mean, he he says, you know, put money into your gimmick, and it definitely yeah. worked for him. Well, Vince evolved over the years with his fashion. I, I, I remember he went through his Zubas phase whenever well, all the guys were wearing those things. As we but, all did, though. I mean, yeah. we changed a lot, man. Yeah, but you had to have the physique for it. I didn't look good in Zubas. I, I just didn't have it. it you know, you got you had to have the... You had to have the girth for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that was another shot I think you got in here. You're, <laughs> you're way ahead on points on this show, Sean, I got to tell you. But, uh, no, you know, the thing that what was important about Zumba's for me and Steve Williams and Gordy and, and Piper is that you get five or six pair in a carry-on piece of luggage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and you're set the, for the month, right? Yeah. You're, <laughs> I, you could get by with Well, that's the old joke. Two days, two weeks, or two months, you get by yeah. with two carry-on bags. Right. Don't and ever you did- check luggage. And it was just the smell factor. Yeah, yeah, but, well, that was not as bad as this shirt. Let me try this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, that would be the test, exactly. Yeah. All right. So we, we went off track a little bit here. but uh, one of, <laughs> Yeah, but certainly a very fun topic. And I, we'll have to put that on a poll sometime because I'd love to do that as well. As well as you mentioned. Uh, well, first, let's get into I want to I welcome everybody once again. We love having you listen. And of course, uh, yeah, I'm starting to call. I, I, everybody likes to call these, uh, sh- you know, call your show with letters. I call it PTH and M, uh, Primetime, Hacksaw, and Mooney. Okay, but that's just the short version. And we love having you guys listen. Uh, and we've been hearing from a lot of you. Uh, first of all, though, I want to remind you to subscribe. Get to iTunes and subscribe to Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Sean Mooney. Primetime with Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Sean Mooney. And uh, subscribe. And then, of course, if you like what you're hearing, we want you to rate uh, the podcast. And also, we'd love to have you give us a rating. You can write on there. And that really helps us get the word out. And, folks, we've got Jim and I have huge plans for this podcast. We want uh, we want to grow Ho Nation uh, to be gigantic. And if we get to a point where we do have a lot of listeners, then we can start doing those live shows, Jim, which I have uh, a lot of great ideas about, but we've got to get people uh, back there and, and grow Ho Nation in, in order to do that. So get to iTunes, subscribe. That's the best thing you can do. And then, of course, tell all your friends. And you can reach us on Twitter because uh, we're very active on Twitter. If you've been on there, you know Jim always answers. I always answer on Twitter. And you can uh, get us at, at Primetime MLW. Primetime at MLW. And last week, Jim, remember we were talking about how this podcast is for all of our listeners. It's not so much about us. We love to uh, share our experiences, but uh, this is also a podcast that uh, involves our listeners. And we said last week, remember I uh, put it out there, hey, tell us some stories about some of the superstars that you've encountered over the years. Jim, you would not believe the response we got 
in our uh, email box. And coming up, I'm going to tell some of these stories. A lot of them are about you, but there's some other ones about, uh, involving some of the other superstars of the golden era, as we like to refer to it, uh, who just by a chance encounter somewhere, either at a restaurant or coming out of an, out of an arena or something like that, they, they had these events happen in their life uh, between with these superstars that they've never forgotten. And I can't wait to tell you about them. But Jim, along the way, and you have met, it's probably in the millions by now, uh, the, of the great fans that you've come across and these, like, these little moments that you've probably forgotten over the years. Oh, there's, there's so much that affects people that you'd never realize, Sean. But to go back to when you first started talking about it, the uh, I do like that uh, PTH&M, right? Is that yeah. prime time with Hacksaw and Mooney? That's right. I and, like that, brother. Yeah, that might a be a T-shirt. T-shirt talking yeah. about T-shirt. PTH&M sounds like a disease. <laughs> <laughs> it cleared up though. It's a salve. A shot, a shot cleared it right up. But yeah. <laughs> but you know, you said, like you said, the uh, the more the merrier from the fans and the folks yeah. there that uh, they, they communicate with us, send us questions. I mean, that makes it more fun for us and hopefully more fun for them. And you know, I even got my sisters who are less computer oriented than I am, where they were able to hook up on iTunes. It's really easy to get on there and hook up to the podcast, and you can check it out whenever you want. It's not like you have to tune in at a certain time, which you know, this is all kind of new to me, so I'm I'm yeah. learning as I go, but. Uh, it's great to have so much feedback from the from the folks. That's that's yeah. where that whole thing was going. But. And what's so great about subscribing is that every single week, now this show uh, drops. You know what that means now, right, Jim? I do, yes. I thought you were giving me another shot there. The, <laughs> we're going to drop Duggan. And what, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I thought it was going well. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Get carried away. <laughs> yeah, but, but this show drops every Wednesday as, a, as a, the uh, – savvy tech people say it drops every wednesday at 7 a.m eastern time if you subscribe to the podcast it it goes right there into your account and then as jim mentioned whenever you're ready whenever you've got time to listen to it you can uh you know bring it up you can listen for uh, you know a half hour or whatever and then put it on pause and go do about go about your business and then come back and listen to the rest of it or go back and listen to some of the other episodes of uh, we'll keep bringing up some of the stuff we talked about back then and you can uh Go back and check it out. So get to iTunes. And as I mentioned, uh, contact us on Twitter. We got some great questions this week on Twitter at uh, Primetime MLW. And then please keep sending these stories. I had so much fun reading these about people who have uh, met up with some superstars along the way. And you can send those emails to primetime at MLW.com. Now, Jim, once again, we ran a poll this week. Uh, we have we've been doing every single week. And our topics uh, this time around were once again WrestleMania 5 because that was really close um, to in last week's poll. And then we put up 1988 Royal Rumble and then Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. Now, we both of uh, us worked with uh, those folks very closely with, with Randy and Elizabeth. Um, but this week, WrestleMania 5 comes out on top, and that's what we're going to be talking about. I know that WrestleMania 5 is uh, pretty special in your mind, Jim, I know the year before you had been involved in WrestleMania 4, but uh, of those two, and I, first of all, I want to ask you about your first WrestleMania experience and what that was like for you. Well, the, the, the first WrestleMania, of course, was uh, WrestleMania 3 up there at the Pontiac Silverdome, you know, and yeah. uh, that was just something special. Uh, coming out of the Mid-South Territory, where even though we ran uh, Superdome shows and stuff, coming into uh, 
the WWE and WrestleMania it was it was a whole different uh, feel. And of course, oh, yeah. ninety three thousand people. That's all yeah. anybody was talking. You know, because actually the WWE holds the record for most buildings in the world because it takes up such little bit of the floor. You know, a basketball court takes up so much, a concert takes up so much, wrestling, it's just the ring, everything else is seats. And that's why the WWE holds the, the record for most buildings. And of course, it's a shame they tore down that old Pontiac Silverdome. That was a, a or they're tearing it down, I believe. Or it's, But uh, that was a great building. But I always joke, because I came back from not being out there, I ran down with my two by four, I hit Nikolai, I hit the Iron Sheik, they were working over the killer bees. I chased yeah. them out of the ring. I had 93,000 people chanting, USA, USA. I mean, to this day, it's a thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, 93,173 uh, was the official attendance for that event. But what is it like to be in a ring when you've got that many people around you? You'd been in, in, in very crowded arenas before, but that had to be uh, in the stratosphere. Oh, yeah, just getting down to the ring. It's, just, it's a long way to the ring, you know, <laughs> down to it. I was blown up by the time I got down there, you know. <laughs> it was hard to swing that board. But, uh, you know, I joke because I came back to the dressing room and, and, you know, my everybody used to call me cockeyed Dugan back in the day. My eyes were so bad. So I came in the dressing room after WrestleMania three, and everybody's like, Duggan, Duggan, how's the crowd? How's the crowd out there? What's it like? I said, well, the first three rows are full. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about the rest. It's awful noisy. It's a blur. Everything's a blur out there. <laughs> yeah. no, but, but do you remember thinking, and we're going to get to WrestleMania five, I promise, but do you remember thinking – uh, when you stepped into that arena, like, oh my, how in the world has wrestling gotten to this point? I mean, no, it, it had no. been very popular, but do you remember thinking, this is incredible? No, yeah, I, I, I sure do. You know, and of course, my buddy Jake, I, I was like, I got there to do a Detroit. We drove up to Pontiac uh, with the, the, the team or the, the, the group on the bus. I had my wife with me. I looked at the crowd and the, the whole the whole atmosphere. I said, honey, we made the right decision leaving Mid-South yeah. and coming up to, to WWF, that's for sure. Wow. And, uh, you know, and, and not just WrestleMania, just the way the whole business has exploded uh, uh, worldwide. It, it was crazy. But that was really kind of the, you know, WrestleMania 1, the people got the taste of it. WrestleMania 2, it was kind of building. WrestleMania 3, boom, it was yeah, on the scene. Right. Yeah, well, was. especially with that, uh, you know, that main event, and then just the fact uh, at that point to have that many people there for a sporting event was just people could yeah. not believe that it was just uh, you know well, something because that, you know the wrestling's the kind of the black sheep of right. uh, entertainment. You know, people uh, like to kind of put us down, but you can't deny those kind of numbers. Well, after that, they didn't. Uh, it was uh, oh, no. it became really mainstream, and well, I've mentioned several times. Old- Old timers that when they they broke the record in Dallas a couple of years ago, all, all those old timers like, ah, oh, darn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what the heck? Yeah. Well, okay, we didn't say darn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it but it really uh, was incredible uh, at that point in time uh, to see where wrestling was going. It wasn't even where it was, you know, cresting. This wave was just building. And yeah, that's uh, just, I, as I all the overseas stuff started going after that, right? Yeah, with the uh, you know, Sky Television over in the UK, and it just spread out from there. And I've I mentioned several times being at garden shows, you know, in New York, uh, Madison Square Garden, where there were, you know, on a just a, uh, a regular, you know, house show. We used to do them every month there with just tons of celebrities backstage, 
sure. uh, who just wanted to meet the wrestlers and hang out. Uh, Bob Costas was there all the time. I remember. Oh, that, movie uh, stars, uh, politicians, yeah. uh, rock and roll singers. I mean, yeah, it was a who's who of celebrities backstage at the garden. I mean, because no matter what profession you're in, the garden's a garden. And when you're selling out the garden, there's a, a electricity excitement you can feel. Yeah. And, you know, and coming off of that, as we move forward here, uh, Vince McMahon forms an alliance with Donald Trump in Atlantic City. And uh, a lot of people knock the fact that they wanted to do that event uh, at Trump Plaza because it was a much smaller venue. It only held about, I think that WrestleMania 4 was somewhere attendance-wise over, you know, just 18,000. And, um, you know, they were still doing closed-circuit television shows. Remember that when right, yeah. they used to have boxing matches and that kind of thing? Right. People would go to the movie theaters. Yeah. And but, you know, think about it. You're, you're saying, that's ah, a small venue, 18,000 people for a wrestling show. Yeah. But coming <laughs> yeah. off 93,000 is a little yeah, bit. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, that's, that was a big drop. But, of course, uh, obviously there was a, a, long, a long-term relationship between Trump and, and Vince the, that they, they went there, and not only for that, the next WrestleMania, and also the Slammy Awards. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, they had, they had uh, you know, closed circuit for that, for WrestleMania 4. And they, you know, uh, there's, there's varying numbers. I tried to track them down to see what the pay-per-view pay uh, buys were. And, and there's numbers everywhere with, with the closed circuit, 175,000 uh, buys or people going to see it at these closed circuit locations. And then uh, up to 485,000 in pay-per-view buys. So the reason I mentioned that is because uh, they decided to go back for WrestleMania Five to to Trump Tower to Trump Plaza, and to this it was an incredible event that took place there. I'm just giving you some of the numbers here. They they tried to expand some of the seating. I think they got uh, twenty thousand three hundred into the building. But what it comes down to, Jim, is is nothing compared. Now this is where the pay per view explosion happened. They had. Four or seven hundred and sixty-seven thousand buys on pay-per-view for WrestleMania Four. Now that is a, and just to put that into perspective, that record would stand for the next ten years wow. before they would approach eight hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. So, in 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 terms of uh, business success, it worked out pretty well for Vince <laughs> and Donald Trump. No, you're not kidding. I like that, Sean. You always got all the numbers and all the facts. You're like a walking encyclopedia. Of, well, I love this uh, stuff. I, I love looking at these. But uh, you know, comparing. that's uh, that's the uh, first time that uh, Jake and I we met actually met Donald Trump at WrestleMania. Yeah. On a, just on a fluke, we were uh, they were moving us from because there's so many events that go on now. Of course, it's a week long event of. Uh, the stuff going on before WrestleMania. Back then, it was a couple of days, you know, uh, stuff with the Special Olympics, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. They have uh, races on the boardwalk and uh, talking at the uh, reading to kids at the library. But anyway, uh, Jake and I were, you know, we were cutting through the uh, kitchen. We had a couple of handlers, and they were taking us the back way through the kitchen. And coming the other way was uh, Donald Trump with two of his security guys. And he stopped. He knew both of us, shook our yeah. hands, said hello. And, you know, that was that and walked by. But, uh, you know, at least he stopped and said hello. Yeah. yeah well, I'm going to tell you about security, my encounter. Uh, yeah, his security, they didn't have little pistols on their side. They had these big, huge bulges under their jacket. It looked like <laughs> Uzis or something. You know? Yeah, it was like going to that wedding in Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> hey, good one, Sean. It was in Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I'll be talking about my encounter with Trump on live television coming up. I'm not quite ready to go there. 
But you mentioned the, uh, you know, all the different things they had going on. It was a week like a festival. And it was one of the, uh, as they really started to develop this, now they have the fan fest that are just incredible. But this is one thing I remember. And it's funny how you you remember a lot of these things uh, of these events that, you know, we're, we're not part of that, of WrestleMania five of the event itself. And I remember going down there and being part of these great fan involved uh, events that they put together and Trump uh, Plaza Trump, that whole complex was perfect for that kind of a venue because yeah, the hotel, they had the, these little uh, arenas, they had, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, ballrooms that they could use. So we, and it was all in a very close you know, close proximity. Well, right then, he, Atlantic City was kind of making a comeback. You know, Trump oh yeah, all that money. I mean, the the boardwalk was hopping again. It's kind of taken a little downward turn again since uh, that super oh, yeah, handy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, back but then, then it was humming. And then, and lots, hopping, yeah, yeah, a lot to to credit Trump with what he did down there. Uh, of course, it, it all did not uh, end well. But um, back then, and I remember just how electric that whole place was in that boardwalk. And I remember, you know, one of the events I did, uh, I uh, co-hosted, you know, Alfred was there and a few other people. We did this 5K run and they gave me this bag. It was in my hotel room that you know, you I was supposed to wear run? this. Huh? You guys do the run? No, no, no. Oh. I, was, <laughs> I was going to say, have they, I said, I'd pay to see Lord Alfred make that 5K run. <laughs> I co-hosted. But, you know, Mr. Fuji did. Yeah, right? good. Of course, yeah. he was in his tuxedo and he ran uh, the 5K. <laughs> Sure. Okay. Uh, but I remember Rest they had, because yeah, <laughs> everything's a shoot here, right? Yeah, yeah. Never would we fabricate anything whatsoever. But I remember they, they gave me this bag. I had no idea what was in it. It was this nice, uh, you know, Nike bag. And they said, here's your outfit for tomorrow. Wear this for the event. So I didn't even look at it. Next morning, I'm supposed to be out there at 9 a.m. or something. So I go and I look in this bag, and it's got this nice long sleeve t shirt, WrestleMania 5. It's awesome. I got a nice pair of, uh, you know, uh, Nikes to wear uh, with socks and everything. And then they've got like these, they look like, uh, like hose, like uh, not, not the hose that you are so accustomed to. By saying, saying, of course. But, you know, these, these uh, spandex things. And nobody was, this was before everybody was wearing them. And I'm, I'm like, look at them. Like, what am I supposed to do with these? And that was it. That was all that was in the bag. And so I called up the, the woman that was the organizer. And I said, I think I'm missing something, like a pair of shorts or something. She said, no, no, there's, you know, these are the, what they're wearing now. And, you know, it was these skin-tight spandex things, Jim, which well, you can I'm, imagine I'm how good you, I look in I'm that. glad you clarified that, uh, talking yeah. about hoes in Atlantic City. <laughs> No, where, where the hell you were going with this story, <laughs> story Sean? I thought we were trying to keep it a family show. But, no, no, uh, but I can see later. you in a pair of uh, tight yeah. stockings, I guess, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Everybody runs in them now. But back then, I'd never seen them before. Well, and I remember going out there, and it was pretty cold out there. Yeah, uh, I remember it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a little chilly. And I went, I remember I got up on the stand, and I, I'm not kidding. And the first thing I said was, why do I feel like I forgot my pants? <laughs> because it did, I, I it felt like I was standing up there in my underwear. But uh, it's funny. That's one of the things I just remember. I remember freezing and then wearing these things that uh, at the time I didn't know they'd become so damn popular. Like, I, right. I couldn't wait to get them off because I thought how bad, how you know terrible I must have looked at them. But did the you, thing uh, was, uh, 
Did you load your pants? <laughs> I would have known if I did. Seems like but, some guys, uh, the washcloths are missing. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, right in front. Right in front there. I might, I, I might have needed it if I was sweating while running, you know. Yeah. But, the old uh, I get older, I find out size is not nearly important as hardness. <laughs> you can get sorry, help with that. Sorry, uh, you, you can get help with that. You're gonna, we're going to lose yeah. our clean lyrics here if you don't yeah. stop. So. I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but back they, to mess, yeah. Go ahead, John. They had so many great events. I, you, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was true. Though they had all of these really fun fan fest <laughs> events that where they really were, you know, where fans could get uh, up close and personal with these guys, and it wasn't just them sitting at a table signing autographs. Mm-hmm. And it's even expanded now. I mean, uh, down oh, there wow. at WrestleMania, you know, the, the fan access. They have it at the uh, convention center right next door to the stadiums. And it's a four or five day event where they charge 50, 60 bucks to get in there. And, yeah. uh, you know, and they, they they shuffle the talent in and out. And, you know, the, for the autograph session last year, I was down there in Orlando. So it was my turn to come in. I would come up. I'm getting ready to do the autograph. I'm replacing Sasha Banks. <laughs> the place booed the hell out of me, right? Everybody's waiting in line for Brain. Sasha. Where she is gets Sasha? To, <laughs> oh, <boom. laughs> bring back Sasha. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, she was happy to take the break, though. But uh, you know that whole fan access thing that just uh, expanded them from back in WrestleMania Five. I think that may have been the. Uh, I don't think WrestleMania Three they really had like the access. Yeah, and that and I think that that was one of kind of the first uh, you know test grounds to see how this stuff worked. Right, and, and, and the NFL, Super Bowl, and Major League Baseball, they all kind of uh, copied the idea. They have those uh, fan expos also. Well, there's a lot of things that uh, the WWF, WWE, uh, you know, that others have, uh, shall right. we say, copied. They're, I think that's the They the are term, groundbreaking. But... McMahon will take a risk, that's for sure. WBF, XFL. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I remember just having a lot of fun doing those. It was my first real experience at doing these large crowd interaction where you'd you know be on stage and they have all these people there and then we'd bring the superstars out for you know a and a and uh it, it was just really fun did you do a, a bunch of those I, I think you did one with me and a bunch of other guys where we were on uh they had a big uh you know uh, stage where we brought you guys all up and we did q a and i it was you know i stood out in the audience and would just uh people he got a question for jim or whatever you know and that was just uh i just thought that was you know a great way for these people to really get to know these guys. Exactly. And, and what, a, you know, for a wrestler, it's a great opportunity to let the fans see a different side of you. You know, yeah. they, they I mean, they had to stay in characters yeah. to an extent, but I'm just saying it was a, you know, up close and personal. And there really were some great questions where they, you know, they wanted to know about these guys' lives and they wanted to know, you know, how they traveled and they wanted to know, you know, and it was just, I don't know if there had ever really been an opportunity for, fans to do that to interact with uh these superstars well you know folks like to ask questions about an intriguing business professional wrestling that's why we see so many folks uh, contacting the pth and m to (laughs) send their questions in you know uh it's uh, people like that's why doing the stand-up show a big part of it is the q a at the end of the show it's a intriguing business even if you're not a wrestling fan you got to be kind of intrigued by our business. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, folks, that's what this podcast is all about. As we uh, keep saying, this is your podcast, too. And it's a great uh, forum for you to get in touch with us and, you know, uh, ask 
any question you want. If I don't know the answer to, or, you know, we need to get to try and get information from somebody else, I'll, I'll be right on that. But, uh, I I'd promise be surprised every email. if you don't know, Sean, they'd have yeah. to, you have to have folks. If you can come up there with a question to stomp, uh, uh, stump Mooney, let me know about it, guys. Yeah, well, <laughs> now you've done it, Jim. Give it to them, folks. <laughs> but my point of it is, is that we'd love to hear from you. And uh, uh, if we don't know the answer, if I don't, I'll, I will track it down. And then don't we'll ask just, me. I, I can't yeah. remember all that stuff. Yeah, but but we'll give you our, our you know completely our our, our uh, honest viewpoint and our perspective of what we saw from our time and our experience during that uh, great time of professional wrestling. And that it really was. And uh, I'd never been a part of an event like that. Yeah. That WrestleMania five was, uh, was a big, it was exciting. And of course, what it was, the, the main event was uh, macho and uh, Hulkster, I believe. Yeah. That was uh, um, a great uh, um, uh, venue. And we're going to go through the matches. We're going to go through. Okay, cool. And I, don't and I jump, want to don't jump ahead, Duggan. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Sean? Yes. But uh, we're going to get to all this, buddy. I can take a hint. (laughs) We're going to we're going to get to all the matchups, and and it was a a great finish. But people had you know uh, different opinions on how that WrestleMania ended, and if it should have ended the way it did. Uh, But we're going to be we're going to be talking about that. Um, From my viewpoint as as an announcer, when uh, going to that event, uh, it was just it was I, I remember it vividly as far as you have to understand where I was coming from. I had never been in a situation like that. We had done other big events, but this one had this worldly feel. And like I said, doing these events where we had all these uh, fans that were there was just incredible. It was the first time that I really cut a grasp. We could grasp what this was becoming and what uh, uh, this was uh, what was happening with the people and what they were seeing, not just in the ring, but in this whole world of uh, professional wrestling and Vince McMahon and what he'd been doing. And it was just, uh, I just remember thinking one night we're sitting down uh, at the bar and uh, you know, they had all these people that would come around just to wait for somebody to walk out of there. And I, I tell you, it just blew me away. Other guys, you know, had been used to that at that point, but I certainly wasn't. And it was, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, wrestling fans are so loyal. I mean, even nowadays, of course, with Twitter and Facebook and all that, people are aware of uh, where you're going and stuff. I, I'll fly into an airport, and folks will have the airport staked out, saw that I was coming in. And even back then, before, you know, I had all the social media, people knew the guys would be flying in, and there'd be a lot of folks there at the airport waiting to greet you when you came in. Yeah, and this was also, as we would uh, you know mentioned, they'd had celebrities, but this was really where they are starting to, you know, ramp up uh this celebrity affiliation with wrestlemania i remember they had run dmc there do you remember they did uh a, a, i don't know you call it a song but they did a rap song in the ring <laughs> and that was that was you know they were huge then uh-huh. and you were really starting to see it wasn't just you know these you know, it wasn't they weren't b-lister uh celebrities that were hanging out at these things or, or performing in them they were big time people yeah, they and you know you see that carry over now. They just get bigger and bigger names, and it's also good for the uh, the singer or the talent that they're bringing in. It's a, it's a good rub for them to be part of WrestleMania too. Yeah. Kind of like singing the you know, national anthem at the Super Bowl or something. It's uh, a, a big uh, exposure for them to be part of uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, and and this was a time too, folks, where they you know we were had 
very few pay-per-views. I mean, it was the, the number that we had really allowed you to build up these storylines. And in the, the lineup for all of these matchups, for the most part, they, you, they had time to build them up. And uh, you want to get in, we can get into talking some of the matches because I think, Jim, you may not remember some of what went down in some of these, but I think it, you'll be able to add a lot of comment to who some of these superstars were at the time and uh, you know what bet, they meant yeah. to the WWF. Yeah, um, that, that pretty much whole card, I think everybody remembers those guys. I mean, it's a who's who of uh, the legends. I mean, you know, Kurt, DiBiase, you, you name them. Yeah. And and one of the first matchups was uh, King Haku, who Haku was the king at the time during his uh-huh. uh, his brief reign, uh, versus Hercules. And this was all part of the uh, you know Bobby always had Bobby uh, Heenan and his family as he called them, and this was part of a big Heenan family feud. Uh, but I thought you know watching it again, uh, you know it was a, it was a good solid ma- solid match. You know these guys were two uh, brawlers who. Uh, you certainly can identify with, and I'm going to get into more of this because I thought I, I think we at this point we started to see uh, some of the the high flyers really starting to take the stage in the WWF. But this one, uh, whenever you saw these these brawlers, they they always they were good matches because they were just beating the stew out of each other yeah. in these encounters, you know. And, and Haku and Hercules were two uh, two of the best at that. Two legitimate tough guys in and out of the ring, you know, and when they got out there and brawled with each other, it, it was all pretty live. I mean, everything they were throwing was a live round. You just try not to hit in the X-ring, you know. You don't want to hit nobody in the nose or the mouth or nothing, but anything to the body was really live. And uh, just talk about believability. When Hercules or Haku walked to the ring and walked by them people, they were like, holy smoke, this guy looks bad. He looks tough. Where sometimes you see some of the guys walk to the ring and they're, the fans are towering over him, looking down at him. You know, where Herc and, uh, and Haku were imposing physically also. They, you could tell they were two tough uh, men. And, of course, Bobby Heenan just added so much to the, the show. I mean, you had two guys out there just fighting. It wouldn't be that, uh, you know, it would just be a brawl. But add, put Heenan out there, no telling what might happen. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, when these guys went at it in the ring, they were real shots that these guys were taking. Oh, and, yeah. of course, they weren't sitting, you're not going to go to the some, bridge of some guy's nose, you're not going to. But, the, no, those headshots, and I were watching sure. a few of those and going, whoa, I mean, these guys... Oh, you light each other up, brother. Yeah. You understand, you're out there, you're like, what, in front of 18,000 people live and a lot of celebrities, a lot of movie stars, but millions of people are watching on television. Yeah, you're throwing some live stuff out there. You don't want to say, oh, that, that looked horrible. Everybody wants, when you come back to the dressing room, everybody wants, hey, that looked good out there, brother. That really looked real good. And you see guys in the back that are, you know, sometimes uh, some good sized marks on their bodies. And it happens. Yeah, and I remember seeing a few times these guys coming backstage. You'd get out there; and it would be a chop war, where oh, these guys. I never you know, liked the chops. Oh my god! These guys would come back; their skin would be just. Oh, you see hand prints on, pieces on guys' hands where there'd be welts and uh, blisters from guys, you know, chopping each other. I I remember, you know, going down to WCW just to kind of go off a story a little bit. Where Stephen Regal, you know, he used to whack people with that European uppercut. He'd be like European uppercut and. Boom, he'd whack you. So I was down there, he's a European uppercut. Boom. I said, American overhand. Boom, you know. <laughs> That's right. Two can play that that hand, take care of each other. But uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while, you had to give one. You had to snap one back, huh? Yeah, well, that's the deal. If you get a potato, you give a receipt, and that's how you build respect. And like I said, it's a, a snake pit of tough guys, and right there, two of the tough with Haku and, and Herc. And yeah. Of course, Hercules is gone, God bless him, and Haku is doing great living down in Orlando, Florida. The the guy I've known longest, I've known Haku for probably 35 years. Wow. He still looks good. He looks, he's still a tough, yeah. tough man, that's for sure. Yeah, those guys, boy, they uh... – they they could probably get in a ring tomorrow, and and probably you wouldn't want to mess with them. Certainly out of the ring either. No, no, no. Well, I'm getting in the ring this weekend, but that's another story, brother. Yeah, well, we'll get to that before we yeah, wrap know, up I here today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But that match, uh, King Haku, that was the it, first it, match, right? Yeah, and uh, versus Hercules, and uh, you know, Bobby was busy at that WrestleMania. He had a, a lot going on. He was out there uh, in his uh, purple jacket, and uh, you know. Uh, all the glitter, but he was uh, ringside for a number of matches. We'll talk more about uh, his involvement. But I thought that was a, a pretty good, solid match, and especially I used to love to watch those guys because, as you you know, mentioned, they were they were just two big, tough guys, and you know they went out there and uh, they really did. They they go at it, and you know Herc back suplexes Haku and gets a pin, which was. <laughs> unusual you'd think uh, that haku it's would a always... wrestling move right yeah yes. yeah <laughs> you know, it's like the hell yeah, it's like the use of the haymakers but <laughs> right. it, was, it was good i enjoyed watching that match again well, uh, that was a good kid they had like you said the two tough guys but then bobby was kind of like the extra color out there made it a, a good group good combination yeah. and then and then the, the the match following that was the rockers versus the twin towers Wow. Uh, you know, one man gang and, and big and boss man, and then Slick was at ringside, who uh, you know, I, I always thought was very entertaining. I, I, I thought he was a great manager and, and uh, made guys look, uh, put guys over pretty well. I like Slick, and he talked really well. But I think Gang had made the move to become an Akeem by then. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. He was it was Akeem and and big boss man. I'd love to see one man gang get in the Hall of Fame, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, two another, I mean, two big believable guys, Gang and uh, Boss Man, physically big men. Boss Man was six six, Gang's probably six five. Both of them well over three hundred pounds, and you know, and then you had Sean and Marty. The fans love Sean and Marty, of course, and uh, you know that was a great uh, contrast. You had the big, tough, strong men and the young guys that were flying around that the fans loved. It was. A good match. Yeah, and as I mentioned, this this is what uh, this is one of the matches where I I you know, and it's not like they didn't have high flying matches before, but this is where I, I felt like the WWF was really starting to make a, a transition here, and you know, you had Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty going against these gigantic behemoths in, in the ring, and they pulled it off. Uh, it was it was. Uh, uh, I was going to ask you, you know, how difficult is it sometimes in a match like this to to make it work when you've got you know these guys that you know, Shawn Michaels and uh, and Janetti who are certainly much smaller, much more mobile, and then you're going against these other guys who are you know just these giants. Well, you know the the Rockers they had been working together for quite a while by the time they got up there, and that's almost a lost art. The tag team division. I mean, yeah. you used to have some great tag teams back there, and and Sean and Marty were, were were two of the best because, like you said, they weren't big imposing guys, and they were starting to fly more than anybody else ever had. You know, uh, 
uh, Ricky and Robert a little bit, uh, uh, Snooka a little bit, but uh, the Rockers took it to another level. And uh, I think people liked it. And, of course, to have that many guys out there, the, the, I always think of in the ring, the more the merrier. So you, you had Slick, Bossman, Akeem, uh, uh, Sean and Marty, and the referee. You had six people out there. So you had a lot of guys involved. And uh, I bet it was a good match. I don't remember it right offhand. But, uh, no, no, it really was. And um, I wanted to also to ask you, uh, what did the – guys think at the time especially guys like you uh you know and haku and hercules these guys that were uh you know mid-south brawlers these guys that and then you see these guys that you know the flying around doing the flips and you know coming off the top uh post and what was the impression that when you when you guys saw these guys flying around out there nobody was really uh you know jealous of them but they might have been a little envious of those guys because you know they came in they were getting a good push they were handsome young guys they had all the women they got all you know uh so you know some guys they had a little heat with some people uh oh yeah I used to joke in the old days, I'd be in an arena, I said, you know, uh, Sean couldn't come here. And they're like, oh, why? I said, his ego wouldn't fit in the building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were high-flying uh, in a number of other ways, too. Exactly. Sean changed his life around. He's a whole yeah. different man. I mean, another guy that's uh, really has done well in our business and, uh, you know, a family man and a good man. Totally different guy, as we all were from back in the 80s and 90s. But yeah. uh, but you know, I, then you look at Marty, he went in the other direction. Yeah. But I remember seeing those guys that show up in an arena, and you'd be thinking, how in the world are they going to get in the ring? And they'd go out there, no, and they would go out there, and they would get it done. Right. But well, you know that they – who knows what they had done the night before. Yeah, or still doing at that time, <laughs> yeah. you know Nothing worse than getting caught in morning rush hour traffic after coming out of the stay out all night club. You know, yeah. you come out, the sun's up. You're like, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> you're stuck in rush hour traffic, feeling horrible. People are looking at you, me and Beefcake. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, Sean and uh, uh, Marty, that's the deal. Party, do everything you want, uh, but take care of business. Yeah, answer the and bell. got to the arena. Boom, they took care of business. They were in all business. They, Like I said, they may have had their head in the toilet before the bell, but when yeah. they go out there, you'd never know it. They're flying. And they did. And uh, you may not remember this whole match, Jim, but there was a clothesline in there by Akeem. He, he uh, just clotheslined Sean, and it was vicious. It was, oh. it took his head off. I mean, I, had, I watched it back a few times. And really, it, I don't know how he got up. I don't know if you're in football with the padding. I don't know if you could have gotten up from that one. Well, I tell you, one-man gang, Akimo, I've, I've wrestled him a whole lot. And I, used to, I always say I've had easier street fights than lost. I tell you, he was a, he was a tough, rough uh, man. And there's a guy, I think we talked about this before, how his gang, he was an impressive guy. But he, they changed his gimmick to Akim, but he embraced it and made it work. Yeah, and was that just to... Just give him a different gimmick, or you think there was more behind it? There's there, because you know, a lot of times, you know, the, you yeah. you became a janitor, and that was not because right. they thought it was going to go exactly. over. Exactly. Yeah. The yeah. wrestling lore is that you know he you know gang uh, George, a good friend of mine, I know him, came to my wedding, and his wife Mary Alice, they've been together for over thirty years, <laughs> and he wanted to spend some more. You know, back then we were working all the time. And this is the yeah. story anyway probably not true but the wrestling wrestling lore, lore and he wanted to take some time off and uh he went home and the, they didn't want him to take the time off he was working on top and so when they came back they're like well we're gonna make you a keem 
And uh, of course, he embraced it. You know, the big from one one man gang to dancing down to the ring with slick as a keem. You know, he embraced that gimmick and make it work. Where I always say Terry Taylor, he hated the Red Rooster and didn't even try to make it work. So, yeah. you know. It, uh, well, I remember you mentioning that, and then I saw a, a videotape of him, uh, one of the promos that he did, and he took a little, few of his blonde locks and put some really stiff. Uh, gel in it and right, yeah. it red and I, I remember you saying you know he should have gone with a mohawk and you know oh, yeah. that thing beat red and sold right, it. yeah but you know <clears throat> excuse me but you know terry was a gq guy that's the worst thing you could have done to him is tell him you know you, you can't look like a gq cover guy you know yeah. he always looked good and you know supposedly again they, he had some heat in the upper office somewhere and you know, as a rib or a, a shot, they had him do the Red Rooster deal. Yeah, well. Of course, it's, a, it's one of the more remembered gimmicks of all time, the Red Rooster and gobbledygook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, if you're good, you can sell it. I, I mean, uh, quick Make point here, you, they put uh, Dusty Rhodes and polka dots. And he, yeah, well, sure. Look at Gold Dust. Man, Gold Dust. I mean, Dusty's kid, Dustin. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's a pro. Give me my TV time, I'll get myself over. Just put me on television, I'll figure out the way to get it over. And that's what Gang did. He made it work as a king. Yeah. And, or Slick helped, too. That was a, a good combination. Yeah. I don't know if they were going to put him on, uh, you know, Dance Fever or something, but... Uh, I don't know. I thought he moved pretty good for a, <laughs> you know, 400-pound, five guy. Yeah. Yeah. In a big bedspread and a, and a and it looked like a, a wastebasket on his head. Yeah. yeah. Not, not bad, but I, I'm telling you though that clothesline when I looked, I'm like, oh my god! I mean, how he he got off, and of course uh, he got up from that. But uh, you know they one two three him, and you know after he was squashed by Akeem. But that was was a great match, and as I mentioned, I I really felt that at that time, you know the Rockers they didn't win that match, where but you could tell these guys were on their way up big time, and they were really starting to get over. And I really thought it was a time where we're going to see a lot more of this, uh, and we did. As uh, you know, we, we started to see this uh, elevation of, of, of moves, and and uh, you know, you couldn't be in the ring and, and hold a, a, you know, have a hold for headlock. thirty seconds or something, or a headlock, right? You know, grab a headlock. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and plus, like I said, we were saying earlier, the, the tag team division back then was great. You know, uh, the, the Rougeaus, uh, Brett and Anvil, the Nasty Boys came in, the Bushwhackers. I mean, they had a, a great group of tag teams. Yeah. And Sean and Marty had been working so well as a tag team, man, at, at WrestleMania. It, you just see guys that work together a lot. It just They just uh, mesh so much better. Yeah, and they really did work really well as a, as a tag team. And, um who knows who what? Won, who won what, that match, Sean? The uh, Twin Towers did. After that, uh, after that uh, vicious clothesline, yeah. uh, Akeem squashes him. <laughs> that was the, the finisher. They just yeah, I don't know, but no, but that, yeah, it was a one, two, three, and uh, yeah, they won that one. And I thought it was. A, I thought it was a great match. I really was entertained by uh, seeing it again. And some of these, I I do remember that that. Uh, clothesline because i remember being in the back and everybody's like "Ooh, you know yeah, when you get the boys to sell it in the back yeah. you know that because yeah. <laughs> boys don't sell nothing so if you get that uh, group ooh, you know it was something good man yeah. and then and the next one up in this and i was really disappointed i thought this might have been a better match because you know ted dibiase is such a great performer and the million dollar oh. man versus brutus beefcake 
uh, which was pretty much of a, a dud as far as I was concerned uh, with Brutus. And they had, you know, they were putting Brutus over big time. So he gets, you know, most of the licks in in this matchup, which I don't think people were buying that anyway, you know, that uh, that would happen. So I think that kind of soured it, you know, and it, it did for me. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, then, I was surprised at that matchup too. But uh, like you said, they were trying to push uh, a beefer. And, and Teddy was already over as the million dollar man. He had Virgil there with yeah. him. You know, so, uh, yeah, I, I could see where that wouldn't be a, 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 a great... Because, you know, Beefer is more gimmick than a, a wrestler, and Teddy can wrestle with anybody. But uh, at WrestleMania, you know, the bar is set pretty high, as we were saying, Sean and uh, Marty in, in the, the Twin Tower match, or Natural yeah, Twin Towers, that uh, that better be a good match. It's WrestleMania. If it's not a good match, you're not going to be around long. Yeah. Well, and I think that... It, I understood maybe what they're trying to do with it, but I just thought it was because it ended it with a count out, um, you know, with a draw. And, right. uh, you know, Beefcake kind of chasing him out and then pulls out his the clippers and everything. But it just didn't work. And I just think in a, it didn't – that day it hurt Ted. Uh, it certainly didn't last long. But I just thought, you know, what are you doing that with him? You know, if you're going to do that, at least make it, you know, a good battle. Don't yeah. uh, well, know. somebody besides Beefer, that's just not a good matchup. Because even if you know Beefer caught uh, Virgil, you can't shave and cut his hair, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All yeah. headed, right? You know, so yeah, you know, uh, of course, everything can't be a, a home run. But I'm sure it was an entertaining match, and the fans enjoyed it. But like you said, I agree, it it uh, didn't help Teddy at all. No, and, and especially when you get used to a certain level of performance from a well, superstar. And then you just see something like that happen, and you're like, well, is he sick? Or, you know what I mean? What's wrong with him? Because why isn't he, you know? Right. Which does happen sometimes. You know, sometimes guys are, you know, like you're human. Yeah. You know, they got the flu. They feel bad. You People don't know what's going on backstage. But Yeah, but I think we know better what was going on in this one because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that was they a. Tried. Good they tried. They tried. That was a real good curveball, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> But with, with Brutus, I mean, let's let's be honest here. But uh, I don't know. Uh, he was certainly a big time, but he was never. I, I I just a lot of it I didn't get. But uh, that was my own take. I don't know how you uh, guys felt. How you felt? Well, you know, he he was a Hulkster's buddy back then. You know, and yeah, you know, I wish I was in a position where I could help my good friend. You know. Yeah. Well. And you got him so. And, you know, beef, a lot of people remember that. Bruce the Barber Beefcake, he had a good run and a, a good gimmick. Of course, when he when he left and went down to WCW, he had to change his gimmick because Vince owned uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yeah, as he owned Vince, a lot of uh, superstar, uh, superstar Big gimmick. Boss Man, same thing. Yeah if, yeah, if he created your gimmick, he owned it. So when you leave, you had to change to something else. Yeah, I just hope I don't run into uh, Brutus with a pair of scissors because, uh, yeah. <laughs> We're all good, Brutus. Yeah, I think he's still cutting hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's out on the indie circuit. Uh, I see him and Greg sometimes at Comic-Cons. Uh, they're living down in Florida, you know. Yeah, hanging out with the Nasty Boys. Uh, I don't know. Don't they they're... still hang out with Hulk? They're always... No, I think th- nobody sees much of Hulkster anymore after that 100 mil. <laughs> you know, he go opened up that shop down in Orlando, though, uh, uh, Hogan's Beach Place, but... Uh... Yeah, I don't think uh, the guys run together as tight as they used no. to in the old days. Well, he put yeah, out some can... very interesting tweets over the last week. I don't know if you caught any of those, but he was like he got locked out of his house and he was like tweeting to people. I'm 
I woke up in yeah, a chair and kicked my front door. And I'm like, that's a that's an awful lot of information, isn't that a little? Yeah, well, Hogan's got to be careful. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago on the phone, and I mean, yeah. he, he's uh, so on guard because everybody's taping him. I, I feel sorry for the guy, you know. He's like, yes, no, yes, <laughs> you know. He, he's, he's well, yeah, and you got to be careful everywhere you go, anywhere yeah, in public. Yeah, that's got to be, that's really got to be brutal. And I get along with a big guy. I think that was a huge mistake for them to just ipsnay him totally out of the WW Hall of Fame and everything. That was that was wrong. Do you ever see, uh, you know, some kind of mending of that, or is it Pete Rose? Uh, I would hope not, man. I would hope they would mend them, mend it up, yeah. I, I, couldn't, I would hope it wouldn't be a Pete Rose situation. Because, you know, Hogan was Hogan. He took that business. He was there with Vince yeah. when they took it to another level. And the stuff they got him for was so trivial. I mean, you know, I hate to have him tape me at home. <laughs> you know, I'm like blazing saddles. I blast everybody. <laughs> you know, geez, uh, to be caught at home and, and saying stuff that you didn't know you were being taped on and, and being persecuted for it, I think, was totally wrong. Yeah, well, it's uh, we'll we'll see what happens, but uh, you cannot deny what he did for the WWE, yeah. and yeah, and pro wrestling. Uh, Which I, was... I've mentioned before, people have talked to me about where I felt he, you know, was in the the list of you know impactful wrestlers, and I know that they put out something uh, not too long ago with the WWE where they had him in the twenties, and I'm like, what? That's ridiculous. Yeah, if he I mean, the top what? three. I mean, I don't know. I mean, who else you could put up there? Flair. Yeah. Who, you know, maybe The Rock. Yeah, there's, there's certainly. But, but you talk about. I mean, how no one really touches that to where you know it was a point where, where really that it just changed the world of professional wrestling forever to you know, to that point. You know, yeah. so top five, absolutely. Come on. Uh, unless you're going way back to the beginning of how you know this all started, George, but, George but, or something, right? Yeah, but, but beyond that, come on. But we'll I mean, be I mean, we'll have a chance to talk about Hulkster coming up because of cool. course of the main event. Uh, then there was the Bushwhackers versus the Rougeau brothers. <laughs> oh, I love the Whackers, obviously. Yeah, Butch and Luke. Uh, yeah, they, uh, and that was a good combination with the uh, the Rougeaus. I think the Rougeaus, another second generation wrestling family out of uh, Quebec, you know, and uh, they were the good talent, and uh, but the Whackers, I think people just love that. Yo, yay, and the walk that people still do the walk they did to the ring, you know. Could they, uh, you've known them a long time, could they really work? Because a lot of times what the, the WWF did with them was pretty much, you know, just comical. Comical, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, if, if, back in the day, Luke, uh, he was almost like Abby, you know, Abdul the Butcher. He could get juice all the time, his forehead. Oh, I know. You could just see. I mean, yeah. yeah no, he's got not, the, not, he's got the Australian outback or the New Zealand outback uh, <laughs> yeah, on his forehead. Yeah, great carved out of his head, yeah, you know. Yeah. Thanksgiving turkey and Butch too, you know, so they came out from the different school and uh, yeah, they, they could work, but I thought that they realized that to get any more longevity because they're both older at that time you know uh, that the uh, comic uh, role that works you know that's I, I did that for a while I got really comical when I was the king of wrestling you know yeah. and, uh, and the, it, it worked great for them people loved it you know them licking guys you know they'd go to the ring they'd stop and they'd lick some kid's face on the way or I'm, I'm probably you probably got licked somewhere across I, the I, I did that match right after that match <laughs> oh, did you yeah 
I went to the hospital afterwards. I was yeah, you got a couple of shots. Yes, I got a, a tetanus, uh, foot and mouth disease. Or... <laughs> just bathe me in something antiseptic. But, but people like that, you know. I yo, I mean, uh, as soon as you said that, uh, the bushwhackers, I got a smile. Yeah, you got a smile on your face, back. and that's what they did. And and you know, Jim, back then we really were family oriented. Uh, it was very oh, yeah. very directed at kids. Uh, it was one of the things I really loved about what we did is because it uh, it was about, uh, you know, kids enjoying uh, these guys that were pretty much uh, comic book heroes come to life for them. You know, yeah, they were bigger than life. Yeah. I mean, you're not kidding. And you even see it more nowadays, you know, with all the legend stuff going on. Uh, people just remember that era and it, it's built up more than it really was nowadays. You know, people just make it bigger than I think it was huge back then, but now it's the golden age. It's better than ever. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, a, time, a moment in time, that's for sure. No, a lot of the people that are listening were, uh, you know, eight, eight, oh, nine, ten years old. Yeah. yeah, that that uh, to them, they, you know, every Saturday morning, they were in front of the TV, wherever that uh, – Superstars of Wrestling or Wrestling Challenge was on. Or down here in the South, right after church, they'd all come in and sit down and watch after wrestling. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and you know, Luke and Butch were you know, perfect for that as far as uh, the, what they could do. They were, they were very popular at any kind of fan uh, uh, events. I wonder that how had. long that match went. I bet it was kind of a short match. Oh, yeah. Well, always, yeah. It's Luke. They, uh, they, they come, they use the battering ram. They take down Raymond and they pin him. You know, it's like, right. boom. Well, that's a deal. We're not selling time. We're selling excitement. Yeah. And it was. And then you mentioned, you know, the licking. I took a licking. I, it was one of my first live <laughs> interviews. And they told me, all they told me was, yeah, they're going to come by and they'll mess with you. And then they're going to go back to the locker room. And if you watch the tape, uh, of that when they come down, you know, there's this big giant uh, uh, alleyway from the ring, and then it's all carpeted and everything. And I'm over there, I'm talking to fans, and I say, you know, the uh, Bushwhackers. And I didn't see them coming up behind me, I knew they were coming. And, uh, you know, Luke grabs my head and starts, I mean, just licking everywhere. And then, of course, they, they just <laughs> turned into this. I mean, you can yeah. see, Jim, you can see the, yeah. the, the glisten off my face. It was so much. <laughs> Lick like saliva. a saliva, yeah. And then he came back and did it again. And I remember saying to Gorilla, "I said, did you ever have a dog that really liked you?" <laughs> because that's how I feel right now. Like a, like a big bloodhound licking you or something. Yeah, really, it yeah, was. Yeah, but you know, you could see the the fans. Uh, at least you didn't lick him back. No, <laughs> that was not going to happen. I got enough tongue from both of them. That was it. That sounds like sure. another story. Yeah. <laughs> all right mr perfect oh, is next up kurt hennig and the blue blazer oh wow which uh many know is owen hart and uh you know i don't know if owen ever really got the credit of what a, a great wrestler he was um, yeah, i think he was overshadowed by uh, Brett. yeah well of course he was but you know coming from that the hart family I thought he was one of the best workers I ever saw. Uh, the, some of the stuff that he could do, and then when it got down to just having a great match, he delivered too. Oh yeah, and look who he's in there with. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt Henning, two second generation guys. You know, Larry the Axe Henning, uh, Kurt's dad, and of course the Hart Foundation coming out of Calgary up there at the Dungeon. 
I mean, you couldn't get two better schooled wrestlers than those two guys. They, oh, yeah. they grew up in the business. They were uh, students of the business. They loved the business. Uh, you know, so that, that, that must have been a really good technical match. Oh, yeah, and it was. And uh, it, it wasn't a real long match, if I recall correctly here. But, uh, yeah, and, I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Kurt and what he was able to do oh. in the ring. And I thought some of the greatest matches I ever saw involved uh, Mr. Perfect and, and Kurt. Kurt. Was, he, was, he was, like I said, just that, that much more polished than the rest of guys. I mean, I just tell you, well, I go off subject, subjects a lot, but I'll tell you a quick story. I, I love when you go off subject. Feel free. <laughs> Yeah, greatest stories. Uh, uh, working with Kurt at an uh, outdoor, or excuse me, at an indoor hockey arena up in Canada somewhere. They had just put uh, some stuff so you could walk out to the ring, and the rest was all ice. So anyway, we worked the count out where I threw Kurt. He took a bump out on the ice, slid all the way out. <laughs> Seven, eight, he kept sliding. We did the count out on the ice. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it, it was great. I mean, oh, man, yeah, I wish videotape of that existed yeah, somewhere. Oh, yeah, thank God some of that videotape don't exist. <laughs> you know, back then we'd get away with a lot at the house shows because nobody taped stuff, so there right. was a lot, of, a lot of horseplay. Yeah, now. But anyway, back on subject, buddy. Okay, but we're you know talking about this match with with Mr. Perfect and the Blue Blazer, and uh, you know I I I feel like they really didn't. I think they really came up short on trying to find a gimmick for Owen Hart. The Blue Blazer thing, I never just never quite understood. Me neither. And I thought like it, how difficult it must have been to have <laughs> to to wear that stuff they had with the hood and the right all know. that the, and you know he was a handsome guy you know he, he th- usually put a mask on somebody like me or dr death or somebody he'll cover that up but you know owen was a handsome guy he uh you should have you know i think he would have been a, a good baby face if they just showed his face and, yeah but i don't know if there was uh you know something behind uh hiding his identity maybe they had other plans for him later to be able to bring him out and stuff you know how that works with uh you know yeah having somebody in a hood for some reason, but I, I just, and, and you know, he was that for a while and I just never really, I just thought he could have been so much more. I just don't know if they really knew, you know, how to capitalize on what he did because uh, he was, you know, as good. Uh, you know, I won't say he was better than Brett, but I thought he was uh, just an incredible wrestler. I really did. Yeah. I think that would have been a good match up instead of uh, Brutus the Barber put one of those guys in there with uh, Teddy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Could have been another WrestleMania. But uh, anyway, perfect uh, perfect plexes the Blazer to get that uh, count for the win. Uh, what at a that great time, that Mr. Perfect, though. Yeah, and I was going to say, at the time, they were really, you know, he was really starting to, to uh, get a build going. Uh, All those vignettes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure this was part of it, uh, of his climb. But, uh, you know, that was a... That was a good throw one. Throw himself a pass, right? Football, he'd throw the football and he'd run and catch it. I mean, those vignettes he did, throw the basketball one shot. I mean, and Kurt was good at stuff like that. He would, oh, he was. No, he really he was. Stuff. He really was. He was a talented athlete. And I remember they shot a bunch of those in Stanford. Uh, they went over to uh, one of the country clubs where they had him with the, you know, making the, the 50-foot putt and, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I know the crew had a ball with him. He, they, you know, they just had yeah, a blast with Kurt him. Kurt was a fun guy. Yeah, he really he was. was. The, the king of ribs. Was there anybody better? Well, you know, there was, there was Fuji, of course, and there was uh, 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 
Bulldogs a little bit and Sean and Marty. So there was plausible deniability. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something could happen. You go, the Nasty Boys did it. They're like, no, 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 Owen did it. No, no, you know, <laughs> Fuji did it. So you didn't really know who did it. Yeah. Well, Kurt loved was, stirring go, up. Go, he loved go, to stir Kurt it up. Was, oh, man, are you kidding? Yeah. He, yeah. he, he would see an opportunity. And, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> Another quick story? Oh, uh, please. <laughs> Lights right. on. Go ahead, yeah, sir. First time caller. up in Green Bay, and they bring this kid in uh, for a short time called Dresden. Anyway, we're, uh, we stop in Green Bay. It's January. It's freezing cold. We all get out of the car to go to the bathroom. We take a pee. We all jump back in the car. The kid's late. Kurt's driving. Boom. He takes off. Kurt yeah. drives off, you know. Wow. We go around the block to, you know, come back and pick the kid up for the rib. Well, the young guy, he sees the car drive off. He starts chasing it. Oh. So we come back around the block. He's gone. <laughs> we can't find him for about a half hour. Find him underneath the street light. He's no jacket on. He's shivering. Oh my god! <laughs> well, had what did he did he come after you guys? Or he chased the wrong car? <laughs> oh no, he, he was trying to catch after us, and we just kept going. You know, and we came around the block. We came back to where he was. He like he's gone. Oh, wow. So now we're driving around looking for him, and finally in a snowbank <laughs> underneath the street light. And I thought he was going to punch Kurt, but that would have been a bad move. Yeah, and I th- I think you're right yeah, about it was, that. It was it was it was funny at the time. Yeah, but he uh, he was well known. Yeah, he was well <laughs> yeah, known. I remember he didn't you he never really did like you know big time uh, ribs to me, but he would do stuff like where I would do an interview, and then later that night I'd find like a wad of gum on the back of my jacket, you know, <laughs> that I knew that where that came from. Or, or I would go to, you know, to pass the mic over and he would, you know, just hold on to my elbow. So I'd be like, you know, trying to yeah. <laughs> stretch the oh, mic you know, over. He used to uh, get those cigarette loads, too, and put them in people's cigarettes, you know. Yeah. And they pop, you know. So there was a lot of rivers back then. And, and like I said, Kurt wasn't one of those mean guys. Uh, you know, some guys were, you know, they ran... Uh, Outback Jack out of the company with the ribs. Yeah, but he was, that's, that's, I was going to say, I mean, that was, he just was, it was to pass the time to, you know, yeah. just. It was entertaining, to... you know, you got so much, to, yeah, and everybody usually could have a good time with it. Some guys, you know, didn't like it, but most guys were cool. Yeah, but uh, as a as a matchup, this one was, uh, you know, perfect over on the Blue Blazer, and I, I it was a good match, but uh, I, I think, you know, the ultimate on uh, this one, Kurt was on his way up here, and, and uh, that character, Mr. Perfect, was really uh, going over, and uh, he, w- he was great. It was just a, a, a I think, you know, with, didn't have Bobby Heenan at ringside at that point, but uh, he did great on his own, selling that gimmick. And then we have the Demolition, who are two of my favorites, versus the Powers of Pain. Now, this was... Uh, a, a, I thought a really interesting matchup because you had these two guys that, you know, people had sometimes had compared them. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Fuji with the powers of pain and then, uh, you know, Axe and Smash. Right. Bill and Barry, I mean, two really good guys. And, of course, uh, you know, Bill had been in the business forever. Barry went through two or three different characters before they found him uh, in part of the demolition. And, again, Two believable guys. You look at those guys. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to mess with these two cats. Yeah, and they were, uh, and as you mentioned, they went through a number of, uh, you know, people even uh, to get to that point. And it's it's amazing, Jim. You know, you look uh, along the line, some of these 
tag teams or, or these people that work together. And for whatever reason, it works. And as you mentioned, they, it took a long time, for, you know, finally when they didn't know what to do with Barry. And then, you know, when they hooked up, it worked. It worked, yeah. They, it did, and, they, and they put somebody else in there for a while, too. I forget. Wasn't there Axe Smash? And, I don't yeah. know. I don't want oh, no, Crush. Crush was on there, but that Crush. was later. But right. uh, the evolution of that, you know, it just uh, it worked. Um, and then you had, you know, the you had uh, the, the powers barb- of pain, <laughs> barbarian and warlord. I mean, uh, and of course, back then everybody was very strong. Everybody was spending a lot of time in the gym. But Barb and Warlord were two of the most powerful men in the company. They were really heavy-duty lifters. You know, the three power lifts, the squat, deadlift, and bench press. They had some impressive numbers there. They were two big, strong, and they still are. They, they're just still out there on the indie circuit working as a tag team. Uh, as Bill and ba- I think Bill and Barry now, Axe and Smash, they just do Comic-Con and stuff. But I think Barb and Warlord are still out there in the ring beating the hell out of the young kids. <laughs> yeah. But why do you think that the powers of pain didn't work as well as demolition did as far as getting over? Well, they didn't really have a manager or nothing, you know, neither one no, of them were really they didn't need very them. good. Yeah. You know, I don't know if they were Barb or Warlord were very good on the mic in general, you know. Yeah. Th- well, they had Fuji, which he was not a, a exactly a, a microphone master either, but you know, his yeah, yeah. But he had what he, you know, the way he was at uh, ringside and, and was effective. I thought he was, you know, one of the, the top managers. But yeah, when he, yeah, especially uh, with Yoko, he was was really good. But uh, yeah, he had his own little uh, uh, group of guys, man. So uh, that made a good combination. Another, you know, good WrestleMania. Like I said, if you don't have a good match at WrestleMania, everybody's going to pull out all the stops, do everything you could possibly do, and of course. Uh, <laughs> They did it. Yeah, and this was, you know, another classic brawler match. Uh, that's uh, pretty much... There seems to be a lot of brawling going on. Yeah, but that's what that, that, that I really thought the most of the theme of this was, uh, you know, you had a lot of these guys that were, you know... The... What are you talking about? Perfect and Blue Blazer, though. They they were uh, wrestling, you know. Well, rockers, of course, but then you had that other mix. And and, uh, and so this was basically... You had uh, brawlers and, and flyers, so... Yeah. But this was, you know, you had some big, big uh, collisions in this one with, you know, demolition and powers of pain, and uh, you know, Fuji at ringside. How much weight was in that ring? This what everybody in there is over three hundred pounds. Yeah, and then it, then after the match after that, uh, you know, Fuji gets pinned because it was uh, one of those handicap matches with uh, with no. him <laughs> in there, and it was. I think we kind of all knew how that was going to end up, and then they had, uh, you know, Dino Bravo was there with Frenchie Martin. Versus Ronnie Garvin, uh, it was what was really kind of bizarre before that matchup. Superfly Jimmy Snuka, when he remember he had been gone for a couple of years, and then he came back, and all they did was they just had him, you know, Howard Finkel's ladies and gentlemen, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, you know, and he comes, he just like walks down to the ring and then just disappears, and you're thinking, <laughs> is is he going to be involved in this? What's it? and it was just to say I'm back. I mean. Well, you know, maybe that's the deal. They just had him out there. Everybody else is thinking, hey, he's going to make a run in or something. Yeah. You know? They might have just planted that seed on for that reason. Well, he did, but and, through the whole thing, I'm kind of watching, like, where is he? Is he going to come out? Right. You know? Because well, that, that's so exactly what happened. Everybody looking for him, right? You know, and, there, and and you dropped another name just right then, a guy that's been at more WrestleManias than anybody, Howard Finkel. Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time with, with Howard, and uh, 
He was uh, you know, one of my early mentors at uh, the WWF. He helped me through a lot of uh, a lot of days there, and of course, he he pretty much ran the event center and right. uh, would keep track of all the the uh, weeks uh, markets going on. And he's still at every WrestleMania. Oh yeah, no, he's still with the company, very active, and he does a lot online now. But uh, yeah, he's uh, Howard is a lifer, and uh, you know he just loves the business. It's never changed for him. Yeah, and uh, Ronnie Garvin talking about that match. So there's Ronnie. He's been he's been around a while, and he was a pretty you know uh, plain guy. There wasn't really nothing. Hands of stone, I think, was his gimmick. Yeah, well, Dino Bravo, as you uh, would would think. Uh, it was not a real long match, and uh, Dino Bravo, you know, pretty much took care of that one with the uh, Frenchie Martin. Yeah, Frenchie was a good manager too. You know, I joke. You know, I said doing the USA gimmick, the hardest place to do the USA gimmick in the whole world, Quebec, Canada. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they hated me up there in Quebec when I was working with Dino. I got to ask you a question about a story I heard. I I got to ask you a question about Frenchie Martin. This is something I've always wanted to confirm because I never actually saw it happen. But uh, there's a story out there that what you know guys would want to entertain themselves at airports. You guys were in terminals forever, right? Right. And there was a remember when everybody had the Halliburton uh, briefcase briefcases, and the the story goes is that this was something that he would do where. He would have this Halliburton, and he and the guys would line up in chairs where they could see what was going on. And he would wait for a crowded terminal, you know, with people going in between flights. And then he would start walking with this Halliburton, and he would pick the most uh, innocent-looking person. It might be a group of nuns. It might be, uh, right. you know, oh, yeah. do, do you know where I'm going with this? And I, I know exactly. Okay, yeah. So uh, that he would go. Let's say it was a group of nuns. Uh, God forbid. Uh, and then he would go up, and then he would act. He would trip, and then in the process, he would open this Halliburton, which would be pop open. <laughs> briefcase would be full of the most disgusting sex toys you could come up with. Is that is that sound familiar? That's very familiar, man. <laughs> right. You, you know, tell me, tell it better than I do. And Frenchie, you know, he didn't look like one of the boys. He looked like a straight guy yeah. walking through the airport. You know, when he didn't have the beret and the uh, the painting, yeah, yeah, the, whatever the, the, was going on. Monocle, yeah, the mon- right? <laughs> but he would take a hell of a bump, and man, that briefcase would pop open, and there'd be double headed gimmicks flying out. And I mean, you name it, <laughs> and of course, everybody would run over to help him, and then be all like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then I heard he would like pick up, you know, a big giant, whatever, two headed <laughs> no, thing, and then he no, would act like he's bumbling with it and like throw it into their lap, God. or you know, oh my. Up, right, or going through the metal detector. Sometimes he'd do it. Or an- another good one, though, he'd be sitting there uh, during the um, when the stuff would be coming off uh, the uh, carousel at the uh, at the uh, airport. Yeah, he'd grab a hold of the bag as it go by, and he'd let it pull him, and he'd take a bump off the carousel. Again, <laughs> it would pop open, and everybody would run over to help him until they were shocked. They'd have all these disgusting toys. Or go to jail now. God, I'm, I'm sorry that I, I would have loved to witness that because I, I remember the guys would tell me they'd be they'd be crying. Somebody said you had your own briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> but I kept it well locked. I didn't want to lose one single. No, that's another story, right? But it, yeah, uh, we're going through these matches, but you know it'll be as long as WrestleMania if we don't move along here. There was okay, the you know, brain busters with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. And the reason I want to talk about them is that uh, 
They were, you know, as far as everybody in, in the business with WWF at the time, they really represented that South, the, you know, that kind of that WCW brand, yeah, I thought. Right out of Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And, and again, Tully and Arn, they were the GQ guys. They came up, they had their Halliburtons, they had the creases in their slacks, they had on the loafers, you know, they were, they definitely looked apart and they were both great technical wrestlers and, and worked well together. Yeah, you know, and I always wondered though, Jim, was uh, did when when those guys came up, and it it seemed you know at some point they had some alliances, but was it separate or when these guys came because you had worked with them at different times, did they fit right in, or were there points where you they they kind of formed these different cliques or whatever? Did that ever? Well, yeah, there, there was different cliques. I yeah. mean, just because guys are going to hang with different groups, but when somebody came in, it wasn't like it was an outsider coming in because. Like I said, you, you worked with these guys in Georgia, in Louisiana, in Texas, or Minnesota, wherever. So it wasn't like it was the WCW office coming in. It was one of the boys, and hey, good to see you again, brother. Yeah, right. Welcome on, welcome on board. Well, and as you said, it's a, it's a you know a, a big business, and you never know where you might be. Uh, you know, a week or two from now, so uh, you, you want to keep those those uh, relationships good, good and healthy. Right, and that's you see the same guy for this every day for two years, and you don't see him for f- four years. Yeah, but you pick right up again when you see him again. So it's uh, it's a unique brotherhood. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say as I mentioned before, where you know the I remember the early days when you'd go to a show like at the Boston Garden or Madison Square Garden, uh, even other places, where guys would come in the locker room and they would go around and shake every single person's hand. You know, and they used to say was, it's like like butter. Remember the uh, you know. It just, uh, and it was, uh, that really impressed me that, uh, that really was, that's what hit home to me, that it really is a brotherhood. These guys, uh, you know, are uh, whatever they're, they're independent. They fight every day for their families and making their money, but there's also this deep respect among them. It's uh, yeah, it's a very competitive business, but it's also builds, like you said, a brotherhood. I mean, Probably kind of like playing the, on a football team together and, and being in the fourth quarter or, yeah. or something like that. You, you go through stuff that most people don't go through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the two other guys involved in this match, Tito Santana and Rick Martel, who I thought were, you know, great performers. Uh, they had to, them together as strike force, and uh, they, had, they were working something where they were going to split them up. And uh, you had, like, Santana accidentally forearms Martel, and he gets upset and leaves the ring. You know, I remember that. I yeah. do, yeah. yeah. But I, I would, uh, you know, I, I don't know if uh, people ever really uh, got to appreciate just how good they were in the ring and, and, and the, uh, you know, the way they performed. Uh, yeah, and, and they're two guys that are successful in our business. Again, as we talk about uh, Scott Hall and, you know, my buddy Jake Robertson, the, the horror stories about wrestling – both Rick Martel and Tito Santana are success stories in our business, yeah. guys that have gone on after wrestling and then lived successful lives. Yeah, and those guys are, you know, they still uh, appear at a few shows here and there, and uh, they still in great shape. Martel. I saw Tito. I was oh, like, holy mackerel. No. Yeah, Tito still does some indies up there in the yeah. Northeast. Rick's up in Quebec, and, you know, of course, Rick, I thought he was the most handsome guy in the world. had all those white teeth, the black hair, the good body, the, the whole model gimmick. The I model, yeah. Good. Yeah, he, pull, yeah, he could pull great, that off, yeah. <laughs> yeah and that, as most great gimmicks, it's just an extension of that guy's personality. So yeah. I could see Rick in the Hall of Fame coming up. 
Yeah, well, I would. I would definitely. He he was certainly a, a very uh, viable candidate. I would love to he, see. He was back in the WWF, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Him and Tony Gurria. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the names of the name. past. I remember he was Tony one of the Gurria. managers that worked backstage with Tony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that uh, Bobby was. By the way, I'm just going to just tell you how busy he was that day. He was also managed. Uh, you know the brain busters too for that. It's like he would go yeah, back in and just get another jacket, you know, and come. I got to go back right. out there. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, it got bizarre. They had a Piper's Pit during this uh, WrestleMania, and it w- and first of all, Brother Love comes out in a kilt and uh, does his, as you know, Bruce Pritchard does uh, many impressions, and he did his his best uh, Piper. And it was just—it was just really a strange one. It was kind of you people in the crowd just kind of like, "What's going on here?" And then you have Morton Downey Jr. Do you remember him? He was kind of the first Jerry Springer, who was right, the yeah, guest. Always, always smoked cigarettes. Yeah, and that, yeah, and it was where you know the people would beat each other up on the show. It was like it was Jerry Springer. He was one of the Jerry first Springer, guys to do it. Right, yeah. And then he ended up getting you know disgraced and and. Uh, because he put a swastika on his head, and, and they found out he said he was attacked, and he and they found out that he did it backwards because he did it in a mirror, and, and yeah, like, <laughs> and that'd be a big deal. Ready, right? carved a swastika in his head. Where in wrestling, it'd be like, yeah. hey, just get some juice, brother. <laughs> we can get help. A good we can help get you do juice. that. Yeah, but but it was just it was just so it was a very strange uh, Piper's Pit where uh, Roddy ends up, and then you know of course he's brother love annoys him, and he rips off. Uh, Brother Love's kilt to reveal what? What do you think would be under there? But red panties, you know, he's red wearing red underwear and he runs off. And then uh, the whole thing, the whole time that they're setting this all up, uh, Morton Downey Jr. is flicking cigarettes at Roddy and then blowing smoke in his face. So what do you think is going to (laughs) happen? He's not going to put up with that. Pulled out the fire extinguisher and... (laughs) Dallas is Morty or... What's the guy's name? Morton... Morton Downey Jr. Yeah. Jr. Right. Yeah, I remember the dude. Yeah. yeah. Not to be confused with Robert Downey Jr., but uh, much different. <laughs> Once a, a tremendous actor. Uh, and, and then, then uh, I, I also thought it was interesting. They plugged. Remember at the time they were shooting No Holds Barred that movie. No, oh, yeah, with uh, Zeus, right? Yeah. Okay. Tiny. That's all we're going to say, because if everyone wants to tell me about what they thought of No Holds Barred. Oh, we're off another way. You know, let's, <laughs> let's get through this card before it's midnight. Yeah, no kidding. we got to <laughs> let the animals out. Uh, then Andre, <laughs> though, this is uh, Andre versus Jake. Remember that? Uh, with oh, uh, yeah. Jake, I mean, Andre just, you know, manhandling. Uh, um, anybody he wants. <laughs> yeah, as he did with, with, uh, with Everybody. Jake. And he keeps trying to get to the snake. And Big John Studd is the referee. Now, we know that Andre was not real fond of Big John Studd. So I always thought this was kind of interesting when that whole thing was going on because uh, I don't think uh, the boss was real interested, was, you know, real interested with uh, putting Big John Studd over in this. No. No, there was definitely heat there between Big John and Andre that goes way back before my time. Yeah. Well, and Million Dollar Man gets involved, and, uh, you know, Jake chases him down, and then uh, Stud and Andre go at it, and uh, then, of course, Jake comes back, throws a snake in the ring, and then Andre's, you know, of course, not going to stick around for that, so, of course, Jake wins by a DQ. So that was kind of a mix of everything, wasn't it? You just got everything in that match, everything you want. Something for everybody, right? Yeah. 
And people like, oh, Andre didn't like that snake. I said, not a whole lot of people did like the snake. Tell you <laughs> yeah, the raise truth. your hand if you did. <laughs> I really enjoy that 10-foot python. Yeah. Of course, that's the deal. They're like, well, they're not poisonous. I'm like, yeah, they'll still bite you with yeah. a mouth on it like a bushel basket. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, then with Rick Rude took on the Ultimate Warrior, which uh, we know that oh, wow. uh, those two guys had a few stiff matches that... Uh, I think there was a little heat. You know, those body guys, are, they're both body guys. You know, they neither one of them, they have, you know, a couple sunflower seeds a day to eat. <laughs> they were always grouchy with each other. So, but they both looked great, that's for sure. Yeah, but uh, that you, that match, though, you could tell it was a little stiff. And uh, you could see because, uh, you know, the match and you know, Rude gets over on it. But uh, uh, because, you know, Heenan pulls the, grabs his leg and holds it down. And Rude gets the Intercontinental Belt, which would set off that run. But, uh, you know, that you could just see because you talking about it. And then, you know, and then it stands out even more because then you start looking for that. I'm sure everybody who who watches the Warrior match when they hear us talk about it. And and other people have said the same thing, just how stiff Warrior was. And and you knew that. But then you're like seeing some of this because you really are. It's like a microscope. You know, you're looking at it. And man, you could tell there were a couple of times where Rude looked at him like, oh, boy, I'm good. That was not good. Surprising, Rude was a salty guy too. You know, yeah. uh, I don't know the warrior. He looked great, but I don't think he was known as a tough man. You know, I'm sure he probably could take care of himself. That's for sure. But you know, uh, Rude was a little salty. He, he was known to be a, a tough. Well, guy. there's there's uh, you know the story that he did take out Warrior one night with uh, mm-hmm. after one of their matches because uh, he'd had enough. Well, I remember uh, the, you know there was a story. Warrior when wasn't going to do something, you know, he didn't want to do it. And we're all sitting in the dressing room when Haku's like, put him in ring with me. Yeah. <laughs> Makes no difference what he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll soften him up a little. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, but I tell you, Warrior, one of the, the, I mean, like you said, you'd say the top five guys, you got to throw Warrior in one of those top five spots. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, and, and it's a shame that he didn't realize at the time what he had. I, I you know, think he, you know, he, he was a different guy. Than yeah, we were. you know, he wasn't the most personable guy, uh, as everyone knows. I mean, he stayed by himself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a lot, a lot of ways like Brock, wouldn't you say? A lot like Brock. Yeah, yeah good, 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 good comparison. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it is, and, and I just remember even thinking then. I mean, we would go to, uh, you know, events, some fan events, and uh, he just. You could tell he did not want to be there, and the fans could tell too. I mean, he there was. I remember one time he came in. I don't think he he never looked up. He just signed and just kind of flipped the pictures out. And I just was, you know, oh, dude, you just don't get it. You know, you're gonna one day and look back and just wish that these guys wanted you. Of course, you know the table. guy. He he changed his name legally to Warrior. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's that's a little something about the guy. I, I told my wife. I said we're gonna change our name legally to Hacksaw. <laughs> That way we can call the girls Saw 1 and Saw 2. There you go. Good, uh, nice and short. <laughs> and and it's funny you mentioned Hacksaw Jim Duggan because the next matchup was you against BNB, Bad News Brown, Bad the, uh, the Brown. opossum uh, torturer, as I told you. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, I, I wrote down here, Jim, I just said an all-out brawl. <laughs> yeah, 
pretty much. You got bad news, Brown and Hacksaw Duggan. You know, it's not going to be a tactical match. No takedowns and go-behinds. Yeah. He's going to be throwing big rights and lefts and haymakers. And I believe it ended up with a chair and a two-by-four. Yeah, exactly. That's what I got on here. It ends with a double DQ after BNB brings in a chair. And, of course, Hacksaw grabs the wood. Two-by-four trumps the chair that's for sure but you know i'll tell you what about that match though sean i don't know if you watched it but after the match you know we got done i went back to the dressing room and bad news was hot he was like geez we had a great match doug and we had everything going but at the end of the match you had this three foot booger hanging out of your nose I'm like, oh, i was gonna ask you about that yes i have no oh, hacksaw has giant spot trail Everybody, talk, that's all anybody talked about. I couldn't believe it. The thing is big, hairy, nasty, three foot booger hanging down past my waist. I didn't know. I thought it was just blood or something. I thought my nose was juiced, you know. <laughs> I get back, everybody's like, oh my God, that looks so bad. I'm like, what? The match was great. What are you talking about? They're like, oh, the booger. <laughs> the forever known as the booger match. I think that's when they brought in Sebastian Booger after that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I, good... I, probably and never in your life had you had a booger like that. I mean, oh, had my you? God. I, I mean, you know what? I, I, shoot, I thought it was blood, so I'm showing it off. Right? I got, <laughs> I'm swinging it around, man. It's like your stuck. nose. Yes, I know. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> Big giant pendulum swinging back. battler I am, yes. <laughs> They're offering you like Kleenex. No, no. I let the blood show. Of course, everybody like WrestleMania five. Yeah, yeah. Hogan, Macho, Duggan's Booger. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up very uh, carefully. But thank you. Thank you for the for the. Yeah, as long as they remember you for something, right? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not a match you'll forget. <laughs> I oh, love bing, it. bang, boom. Okay. Uh, this quickly, we're going to get by. Bobby Heenan takes on uh, Red Rooster. Now, was this a punishment for for Terry? Because no, no. If they if they really wanted to punish yeah. your brother, you wouldn't be on the show. Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, you know, Bobby uh, gets pinned, and uh, Brawler works over Taylor, and, and then is chased out. But uh, the big one, as we mentioned at the top, was the Mega Powers match. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about what happened in this one. And we're not going to get into all the, you know, how it all went down because we're, geez, we're moving along here. But uh, it was, a, it was a, a good match. I thought, it, you know, the, the build up to it. And that's what I was always concerned with the most, you know, the storyline and building this thing up. And uh, a lot of people were uh, say that, you know, maybe – should Hulk have been able to take the belt back that at that event that they could have really carried that on, uh, but they didn't. And, uh, you know, yeah, you wonder why, you know, who makes those decisions? I'm sure that's made up there in the, in the Stanford, Connecticut at the top floor of the, uh, evil empire. But I mean, uh, you think they could have milked that a lot longer than they did. Yeah, and you know, and I think that, and people had seen how you know Randy, but but this, I really just remember uh, thinking at the time, like what, how great he was in the ring, and and for whatever reason, because you know Hulk wasn't the greatest tactician in the ring, uh, to put it mildly in a sense, but they really had some great wars, they had some great battles. Yeah, yeah, you know, Hogan, you know, he doesn't have to be a, a tactician, that's for sure, you know where Macho, again, was another guy that was a student of the business. And, you know, he was really, all these different pay-per-views and stuff, he'd wear different gear. 
and uh, now collectors love all that. <laughs> you know, they're, he's got a different hat for WrestleMania, a different hat for uh, Royal Rumble or whatever, where I just wore generic uh, white boots and uh, black trunks for Royal Rumble, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it uh, works out great for collectors because they know, hey, th- he wore this at this WrestleMania. He wore that at that WrestleMania, which shows, you know, he was thinking ahead of time too. Yeah, but uh... – uh, I, I don't know how much you recall of, of this this encounter, but um, like I said, I think what it what really it set up for, you know, the great run that these two guys had, and and that's uh, Hulk was certainly over, but I think that without Randy at that time, I don't think either one of them, uh, you know, that combination uh, put them both really over. It elevated both of them. To, uh, alone, they were good, but put them together like that, that was uh, something special in our business. That's for sure. Macho Hogan. Yeah, and then, of course, Liz. I mean, she was so understated. Uh, it was great. You know, she was quiet and petite and beautiful, but uh, her presence was a major part of the show. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people say, you know, the, the way the reason that that worked so well is because it was it was a shoot. I mean, uh, that was a shoot. Randy, exactly. I you know, and he, he I saw interviews with him later that, and maybe things happened afterwards. But you know, he says I I was never a friend of Hulk Hogan's. We you know I respected him. I uh, you know, but was that always pretty much known? But there was there was heat there for a while, but then they 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 buddied up there. I think down in WCW, but at uh, at uh, WWF, yeah, there was a lot because Macho was just crazily in love with Liz. You know, yeah. I mean, you couldn't talk to her, you couldn't walk by her, you couldn't. You know, he locked her up in the room. She couldn't uh, interact with anybody. And of course, you know that uh, just doesn't work in a relationship. Yeah, and and pretty much, I mean, all of it between, uh, you know, what went out uh, in front of people, in front of cameras, in front of in, uh, thousands in, uh, in the crowd, and even was what happened behind the curtain, it was pretty blurred for Randy, wouldn't you say? I mean, it was, a lot of it was, he wasn't <laughs> yeah, too no, different. Yeah. Macho, I told, I told you know, uh, they got a little heat there because I happen to love Macho so much and his brother Lanny. But yeah. Macho, what you saw on TV was the way Macho was. He was always wound really tight. You know, you're like, Macho, chill out a little bit. I'm like, I'm chill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm having a good you know, time. I, mean, yeah, I joke. I said, yeah, he would go to McDonald's. He'd go in here like, I have a milkshake, <laughs> fries, and a burger. Oh, yeah. They're like scrambling <laughs> behind the counter. Get him, get him whatever he needs. <laughs> Yeah, Macho. Handing him cash. <laughs> but I mean, that's yeah, right. Well, it's like wrestling too would wear the mask into the Seven Eleven after the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what did they call the police? No, hold yeah. up. <laughs> no, but uh, Macho, he lived his gimmick, and, and what you saw on TV was was what he what it was, and and that's why he was so successful. That Macho Man character wasn't a stretch for Randy Poffo. That was who he was. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, you know, it, you really did. Uh, it took a while for him to, you know, uh, before he, you consider you had some kind of relationship with him. It took a long time. It took a long while to build a relationship. Yeah, and I told you, I mentioned the one time that I had words with him, which, you know, uh, and, and it was, we, after that we were fine. But, uh, you, you know, people tiptoed around that guy a lot of times. You yeah, know, it was eggshells around him, right, because you didn't know what might set him off. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't know if, what else you have to say on WrestleMania Five, but uh, it it, re, it remains in my memory, Jim, as uh, 
one of the best for me just because it was my first WrestleMania. And uh, I, I didn't, I wanted to mention, I'll mention it quickly, uh, that it also happens to be, you know, like the worst interview I ever did in my life was the, was the interview I did with Donald Trump. And uh, because, you know, it was, I wasn't used to doing these pay-per-view lives, you know, and, and of course, one of my first ones I do is it's with Donald Trump. And I remember, like, just, I just, I don't even remember what I said. And I've looked back at it before. I, you know, I'd say Donald J. J. Drug Trump, you know, I mean, I just like, and people always send me these pictures of it. And, you know, you, know, you think about those bad moments you just want to forget. Now it's forget it. Now the guy's, the, he's a damn president. So what do you, you know? No, Sean, Sean, that wasn't your worst. I've seen <laughs> Oh, I've seen much worse, Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah much, much. Ooh. No, but I still got another two hours to talk on WrestleMania Five. Oh, okay. I'm sure the folks are willing <laughs> like to stick a mar- around. A marathon show here, brother. <laughs> well, that, and you know, and I tell you, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, that we got so much, uh, so much response this week. We got some great questions, and I wanted That's to tell these questions. stories. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'll tell a few, but we won't. I'm gonna save them because uh, I'm hoping we get a lot more, but. Uh, uh, we can we can definitely tell a few of these next time out. Uh, what, one question, though. Uh, Pasquale from Buffalo, New York, sent us a question, Jim. And I thought it was pretty interesting because you've talked about this before. And he says, question for Jim. There is a pretty popular YouTube video of Jim wrestling Matt Bourne on the Independence, which is labeled a shoot. Was this legit? And if so, where did the original heat come from? So I know that uh, there is something to this. Yes, yeah, that's a that's a good question. I didn't realize it was that big uh, out there on the indie circuit or YouTube or whatever. I'll be looking but for yeah, it. Matt, man, Matt and I, uh, we had a history uh, back in Mid-South when we were still part of the Rat Pack, and we had a, a little fight in the at the Baton Rouge at the Centroplex, and uh, Matt tried to leg dive me, and I, I just, you know, I'm an amateur, you know, I pushed him down, I put the boots to him a little bit. Yeah. And uh, Ernie Ladd broke it up. So I went back to my dressing room and, you know, I was with DiBiase. Me and Teddy are in the dressing room and, and Matt comes back in. He's like, F you, Duggan, this ain't over. So back then, if it's not over, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Johnny. <Yeah. laughs> so I, I, we you don't throw those again. things out there and not back them up, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And now I'm not going to wait for him uh, on his terms. So uh, we had a little action there and I worked him over pretty good in the, in the dressing room. But... We had seen each other hundreds of times, worked together time, you know, dozens of times since then. You know, that was 25, 30 years ago. But uh, uh, he tried to take advantage, of, tried to take advantage of me in in the ring up in White Plains, New York. And if you watch the thing, you can the 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 match. You can see it's going down bad. And I ended up he grabs a two by he grabs a chair. I got my two by four, and it's a Mexican standoff. And I told him, I said, well, I told the referee, I said, we'll finish it in the dressing room. You know, no. we're not going to have to fight in front of the people. So I went down to the dressing room. And, uh, of course, I'm 60 years old, and I don't want to fight nobody, but I ain't going to put up with this. Right. And Butter, Butterbean comes up, the boxer. You remember Butterbean? Yeah. He's there. The one he who knocked out hey. Bart Gunn. Knocked <laughs> out Bart, right, exactly, yeah. He's like, hey, Hacksaw, how you doing? I'm like, don't mess with me, Bean. Like, He's like, Jim, I never lose my composure like that. Yeah. I said, I'm trying to defend myself. Well, come to find out, Matt had already taken all his his bag, all his gimmicks, all his pictures, and put in his car. 
he went right from the ring out the exit, the fire exit, and, and he left the building. Mm. So he was going to beat the devil of me out of the ring with me not ready for him. And, uh, you know, it, it just didn't go down that way. But, of course, uh, you know, Matt's got his side of the story, but he can't tell it. Yeah. Well. But, uh, you know, so he, the guy's passed. I'm not going to say nothing bad about him. But uh, that, what you guys saw out there is, is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that was uh... – that was a shoot. That was a shoot. All right. So here's one for me from Alan Blackstock. And he says, and Thanks Mike. Thanks for bringing that up, Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, they always uh, talk about, though, they love that uh, information yep. on how, you know, what went on backstage. Well, there you go. Uh, I, I've got a question here from Alan Blackstock. My answer will be a lot uh, quicker than the, the actual question. One of my 30, uh, my favorite 30 minutes of WWF ever is the countdown to WrestleMania 9 presented by Sean Mooney somewhere in the studios. His interaction with Titan Sports' various minions while trying to play the clips is hilarious. Mooney had comic timing. He had a very wry and sardonic sense of humor. I'm convinced he was intentionally corny. <laughs> I just wanted to read that. Did you ever try, and he says, did you ever try to make things tongue-in-cheek to make seg- segments more entertaining? Are you kidding? Of course I did. <laughs> Any chance I got, if you uh, look at, uh, yes. So, well, not only the, the wrestling talent, but the announcers. I mean, everybody up there is an A-lister in WWE, and that's uh, why you were up there. So, well, I mean, if you don't carry the ball, you don't last up there long. Yeah, well, that's for sure. But, uh, boy, did we have fun. They, we did have it those times when we uh, really got to have uh, some fun, and I certainly did uh, whenever I got the chance, especially with those, you know, a lot of the Coliseum videos, we got to have a lot of fun with. So, uh I'm going to just wrap it up here with you. You got, you got a ton of questions. Uh, this one is kind of a, well, you've kind of, I think you've talked about this before. Um, but Jim Molinaro from, uh, from Brooklyn, uh, one of my favorite places in the world says, uh, he wants to know what the best piece of advice you ever got from Vince McMahon. Wow. I don't know if, uh, Vince ever really gave me advice. To tell you the truth. He just told me what to do. I don't think it was ever like... Yeah, but he was never one of those guys. It wasn't... Would he... Oh, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what we can go, though, all the way back to Vince Sr. and Arnie Skolan back in the old days when I was still Big Jim Duggan and Vince Sr. called me in the the office. And he's like, kid, you might have a a future, but come up with something better than Big Jim and get rid of that gold bathrobe. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that was the advice. Is that when they sent you to Hawaii? Is that when... Sent me to Hawaii, yeah. You did that one? I got advice, but when I got to the WWF as Hacksaw Duggan, yeah, it wasn't like he was bringing me in to school me or teach me anything. If you're up there, you got to produce for him. So yeah, yeah, yeah and that was pretty much my experience with him too. And Vince wasn't one of those guys who would tell you, you know, how to do necessarily a, uh, an interview. I mean, he would tell you what he wanted, content-wise delivered. And if he didn't like it, yeah, you over, you knew in a hurry. Uh, that's yeah, that's but- for sure. So, but yeah, I, I didn't think any long-term advice, you know. Yeah. Okay, uh, folks, I, I promise we we please keep sending the questions. You can send them to uh, primetime at mlw.com, mlw or uh, primetime at mlw.com. I I will uh, bring up more of these questions. I'm say I'm save them all. I, I'm saving them all. Uh, but I want to get to these stories. I I talked about last week about having people send me. Uh, you know, some stories of their encounters with superstars from the WWF and the WWE. And I tell you, I didn't expect to get the response that we did, but I'm uh, over 
uh, overjoyed by the fact that the, the, not only did we get a bunch of them, but they're great. Uh, they're great stories. And uh, this first one I really love. Um, it's uh, from Brian Collins, uh, Jim. And he says, in the early 90s, I was about eight years old. And one weekend, when my dad, out of the blue, said he was taking me to my first ever wrestling match at a local high school. I was a huge fan. We got there early, and I was amazed. I went around getting autographs of a bunch of independent guys I'd never heard of prior, but still amazed. I come to a table and I see Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I had his toy. I'd seen him on TV, magazines, video games, coloring books, etc. I was blown away. I got in the line immediately, waited a long time, got to the front, and finally, getting his chance here, and he says, when a guy came out to get him to start the show, I was crushed. He went to walk away, turned around, and said... One more, tough guy. Signed it, thumbs up, and a wink, and a loud ho as he walked backstage. Great moment. Still have it. Wow. Yeah, that's, that, that's nice I, to hear. You, you may not remember that, Jim, but I, as I said it before, you know, uh, there's things that happen that uh, that are because you're, there's so many people you encounter that you don't realize the impact you have on these people's lives. But I'm telling you, reading through these, it's just uh, it was just amazing that, uh, you know, these guys a, talk about. A humble, it's a humbling experience to be able to affect folks' life so much. And that's where I try to spend a little extra time with them and interact a little bit. And, and you know, and back then, that's the wrong way to do the, an autograph line. I tell folks now, I said, make sure you cut the line off so people aren't waiting in lines for the last guy to get up there and then you pull me out to go wrestle. Right. Let the people know, you know, 10, ten folks back, they're cutting the line off. But, uh, yeah, I enjoy interacting with the folks. I think that's why my uh, stand-up show does so well. That's why I have so much fun at the Comic-Cons. Because I realize that these fans don't have a lot of disposable income, and they have their money. They're coming up to talk to you. They've seen you on TV. Like I said, they have your action figure. They see your, your cartoons and stuff. They're excited to meet with you. Just don't sit there like the Ultimate Warrior and throw the picture back to them. Say, hey, how you doing today? Who's your favorite wrestler nowadays? Who don't you like in the WWE? Interact a little bit. Show a little appreciation for what these folks do not only for you, but for your whole family. I yeah. mean, the wrestling fans have supported me and my family for over 35 years, uh, and I'm just nothing but appreciative. Yeah, and, you know, there's there, there's a lot of days when you've been on the road and you're dog-tired and you've got to find a gym and then you've got to get to uh, an arena uh, that, you know, it's, oh, sometimes you're not well, feeling so great, but the, the fact that you realized how important that was. But, you know, also on the other on the other side of the coin, too, you know, I, I meet somebody and they say, you know, I met so-and-so and he was so rude to me. I couldn't believe yeah. how bad he was. I'm like, brother, you don't know what was going on in that man's life at that time. You know, he might have been on the road for two weeks. He didn't get no sleep last night. He's arguing with his wife. I mean, there's a million things going on in the guy's personality. So don't, you know, don't walk up to somebody at an airport and say, oh, that guy was really a jerk. I mean... You know, also realize that uh, people are human. But in general, most of the guys, I think, are are appreciative of what the folks do for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I want to do an, uh, tell another one here, too. I Just uh, going through this is uh, Justin Frick, uh, who talks about when he was uh, eight and nine years old with his brother. And they go to a, a place, a restaurant, and he sees Bret Hart eating with Jim Brunzel. And he says, my brother and I, being lifelong WWF fans, were in heaven. I remember getting our food and sitting down to eat. All we wanted to do was talk to Brett, who was eating with Jim. My dad told us to wait until they were done. But being eight and nine-year-olds, 
Uh, we didn't see how rude it was to interrupt their lunch, so we nervously approached the table, and I remember Brett wiping his mouth as he saw us walk up. When he lowered his napkin, he had a big smile on his face and greeted us politely. Jim and Brett talked to us for a couple of minutes about the show and uh, where they were the night before. Awesome guys. Looking back, I couldn't say for sure if I would have been so polite to a couple of little kids interrupting their lunch, but they were a couple of class acts. <laughs> That's nice to hear. Yeah. You know. it, and I'm going to wrap this up, Jim, uh, with what with my favorite. And I, you may not remember this, but man, this is awesome. Uh, from Shannon Hayes. And then I'm going to let you take us out of here. Uh, hi, Hacksaw. I'm a longtime fan of yours, going back to your time in Mid-South. I met you in the early 80s as uh, a young boy of four or five years old in my hometown of Winfield, Louisiana, which is about an hour north of Alexandria. Yeah, I know Winfield. Yeah, and he writes, this is what he says on, y'all were wrestling in Winfield that (laughs) night. I live real close to the gymnasium where the wrestling always took place. You parked across the street from my house and got stuck in the ditch. My daddy and older cousin helped you get your Trans Ams unstuck, and you walked across the street to my house, paid me a dollar to watch your car, held my baby brother, and visited with the family for a few minutes. <laughs> Ever since, you have always been my favorite wrestler. I'm sure you don't remember that, but I would love to meet you again if possible. I still live in Winfield, but due to my bad health, I'm unable to very seldom get away from home. But uh, oh, your number wow. one fan, Shannon Hayes. So, see you, Hacksaw. Yeah, I remember that old Trans Am knobs and sags called it to my smoking the bandit days. I'd always <laughs> had that Trans Am. I'd have a three five seven under my seat. I'd have a hot stripper and a bottle of Jack Daniels with me. It was a, a crazy time in my life. Yeah. But of course, uh, the people you, you, you touch people's lives without really realizing it, and it, it's amazing. And it, it, like I said, it's it's humbling. Yeah, and folks, uh, please keep them coming. Uh, not just the stories with Hacksaw. We certainly love to hear those, but I want to hear about the other ones with superstars in the WWF that crossed your path somewhere along oh, the and, line. And Sean, you know, you were talking about advice. So a lot of folks, when I do comic cons and stuff, people they bring their young son or daughter up and say, "You have any advice for my my kid? They want to be a wrestler." Yeah. I said, yeah, I, I got some advice. I said, get some golf clubs. That's where the money's at. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and a lot easier on the body. Yeah, oh! Beat, <laughs> beat Jordan Spieth, man. Go ahead. And, yeah, that's, that's the life right there. Get the golf. Yeah, but uh, you can send those uh, those stories to us at primetime at MLW.com. Also, folks, please uh, go to iTunes, subscribe uh, to Primetime with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. And uh, keep following us on Twitter. We promise we will answer. Hacksaw, take us home. Well, Sean, this was number seven in the can. Number eight's coming up. So after something like this, talking about WrestleMania 5, it's time for a big ho! See you next week, tough guy.